2: I'm Patience Adamu.
1: And I'm Curtis Vermont. And this is The Drip, a podcast about political decision-making during a racial revolution.
2: Stay tuned as we analyze Canadian news and Black issues on a weekly basis.
1: And if you like what you hear, remember, people, subscribe.
2: On this week's episode, we are joined by MPP Jill Andrew as we discuss some of the top headlines from the week of February 20th including
1: Trudeau's Liberals following through on tightening gun laws for the most part, meets NDP calling Trudeau out on Pharmacare, the housing market devolving to insanity once again,
2: more news on Khalil Sivright and the city of Toronto, racist instances coming from the governor general's office, hmm. the first migrant facility for children opens up under Biden, and plenty
1: more. Good day, good day, good day, everybody. So each week for Black History Month, we've had foundational conversations with Black Canadian politicians who are having an enormous impact on policy while pushing for equity, diversity, and inclusion in Ontario. We've broken bread with Councillor Ariel Cayabaga of London, Ontario, MPP Michael Coteau from Don Valley East, and Deputy Mayor Steve Anderson of Shelburne, Ontario. And today... We're quite pleased to be wrapping up our Black Political Leader Series with MPP, Jill Andrew. Thank you
0: so much for having me, you all. I appreciate it.
1: So Jill, here at The
2: Drip, we like to start interviews by walking through receipts. Hmm. This is more than a bio. This is a specific recollection of the work you have done around children's advocacy, women's issues, LGBTQ2 plus issues, and of course, Black folks in Ontario. Right on. So, Jill is the MPP for Toronto St. Paul's and the official opposition critic for culture and women's issues at Queen's Park. She also has the honor of being the first queer Black MPP in Ontario's history. She's a certified child and youth worker teacher, and equity advocate who holds a master's in women and gender studies and a PhD in education. She co-founded Body Confidence Canada, which advocates for inclusive messaging and practices that support body diversity and is community co-owner of the world's oldest LGBT bookstore right here in Toronto, Glad Day Bookshop. She is presently fighting hard along with her opposition colleagues to get Doug Ford to pass 10 days sick leave, ban evictions, and improve school safety in light of COVID-19, develop a save Main Street strategy to help small businesses with rent, plus a whole lot more. So we're very, very happy that she's spending some of her valuable time with us today. Jill, welcome. Thank you, patience. uh What a generous
0: bio and and I can tell you that uh, since we submitted that to you, um I have also now been appointed the heritage critic um for wow. Ontario for the official opposition so i'm I'm really honored to be stepping in uh to not just two but now three uh critic portfolios on behalf of my community here in St Paul's and of course our constituents everywhere across the province.
1: Amazing.
2: Uh, (laughs) So right off the bat, congratulations on being acclaimed as the NDP candidate for Toronto St. Paul's in the 2022 election. Thank you. Obviously, priorities have shifted for many people across the province because of COVID-19, as well as what we call at the drip, the racial revolution started by George Floyd's murder. Mm -hmm. With that context, what do you think your constituents will be looking for from their MPP come the 2022 election?
0: Well, you know, I think what my constituents and frankly, everyone across Ontario is looking for in the next election is a leader. <laughs> because, right. you know, if we look at, uh, you know, Doug Ford's receipts and yes. that of his caucus, you know, we are certainly seeing a a significant lack of leadership, you know, yeah. right now more than ever, you know, my constituents here in St. Paul's, uh, we want our vaccines, you know, we mm-hmm. want to ensure that our essential workers you know, our, our educators, our teachers, our PSWs, our, our frontline healthcare workers, everyone who is essential, all Ontario workers, especially the ones that I'm repping here. We want mm-hmm. paid sick days. Right. You know, we want access to paid sick leave because I, I got to tell you, you know, it is very difficult to place someone in the position of feeling sick and having to make that ultimate decision to leave the house, get on that bus or that train or that streetcar that frankly might be packed You know, in in COVID-19 terms Mm -hmm. and get to work because they're afraid of losing rent or they're afraid, you know, that they won't be able to cover their rent, their mortgage, you know, buy food, meds, uh, whatever the case might be. So we need stronger protections, you know, for our communities. You know, this is one of the best, this is the best riding, for goodness sakes, in Ontario, (laughs) you know, and we are diverse and we are dense, quite frankly, So, you know, we need to know that our workers are safe, those who have to leave, those who don't have the luxury of staying home. You know, on top of that, you know, over 60% of folks here are tenants, you know? Uh, We have seen during COVID that, you know, evictions, for goodness sakes, like imagine, imagine being threatened with an eviction, you know, during a pandemic, during a time when, you know, life and death, that's what's on the menu. You know, that's what should be on the premier's menu as well, too. Instead, you know, they have put forth legislation like Bill 184, for goodness sakes, you know, that actually allowed at one point for it to be easier uh, for landlords to evict people, you know, yeah. making it harder for people to complain, you know, uh, at the landlord tenants board if they felt they were being treated unjustly, you know, by their landlord. So I'm certainly fighting very, very hard, you know, for a no COVID evictions act, you know, I'm fighting to have a band um you know against evictions during this pandemic you know we're fighting for those paid sick days we're fighting for you know um we we we're, we're, we're fighting for better housing you know and most most certainly we have to fight for our small businesses you know i i think immediately to little jamaica and i and i have to start by this caveat you know <laughs> little jamaica didn't just start falling apart because of COVID-19, we have Mm -hmm. to situate this, you know, uh, the the situation of the Eglinton Crosstown, you know, is going beyond a decade now, you know, so um, I was very proud to stand with community, you know, and I put forth a motion at Queens Park, you know, to support little Jamaica, to support the health and wellness. And I'm talking the social health and wellness, the economic health and wellness, the cultural and heritage health and wellness, you know, of little Jamaica by giving small business owners' finances uh, to help keep their businesses afloat. And this is part of a bigger plan, you know, our Save the Main Street you know, plan that you mentioned in the intro that we put forth almost a year ago, for goodness sakes. Mm-hmm. And the Premier here could have said yes. You know, this is the, this is the time when you take the politics out and you just look at a good plan, mm-hmm. you know, a plan that small business owners are asking for, and, and you put it through. But no, uh, the premier did not do that. And now, you know, you travel along, you know, by Little Jamaica, you travel along even more on the east side of Eglinton, you know, where I am, and you see small businesses that are empty, you see small businesses that have had to shut down, you see places that have been, you know, boarded up, you know, again, you see sidewalks, you see construction that makes mobility difficult, you know, we have seniors living on Eglinton West, for goodness sakes. We have people with different, you know, with different uh, disabilities living in our community. You know, we need that project wrapped. And while it's not wrapped, we need a government that's going to say, look, enough's enough. You know, our Black communities, and I'm talking specifically about Little Jamaica here, have already been, you know, um, stepped on, ignored, you know, um, trivialized, enough enough's enough right now. Mm-hmm. Let's get it right.
1: You're, you're the NDP's culture critic as mm-hmm. well as the other uh, portfolios that you mentioned before. So what are you advocating for right now and how has COVID impacted your ability to engage people and stakeholders on the issues? And, right. and more importantly, what are you watching and reading right now, especially for oh. Black History Month? <laughs>
0: well, I, I will start by saying this. There, there isn't always a ton of time to watch and read for pleasure, um, as I would like to, you know, Uh, but there are a few books that I keep close enough, some that I just got uh, recently, but you know, the one book that I've been trying to get through from cover to cover, and I'm still not there yet, but um, but I'm loving Janaya Khan's chapter um, is Until We Are Free, you know, uh, the book that Black Lives Matter uh, founders had put out, I want to say last year. Was it? Oh, yeah. I feel like it was just before yeah. uh, the pandemic that that we had, the, you know, we attended the book launch and whatnot. And you know, I, I also I also hope to get through Zalika Reed Benta's uh, "Frying Plantain." I think that is a very necessary read. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a read that you know allows us to to look into uh, not only her experience, but it allows us to to make connections to race, class, and gender. You know, and and really situating it in St. Paul's is pretty cool, you know, mm-hmm. and situating it, you know, um, you know, in, in our province, obviously, you know, mm-hmm. um, I had a chance to sit in on an interview. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to I'm going to forget her name. They said this would be fun. Oh, uh,
2: Eternity Martis. Yes, that's yeah. it. Ay,
1: ay, yeah, ay, ay, well, ay. Right? That
0: well. is it. Oh, my gosh. Eternity i'm so sorry i've got a a bad memory sometimes uh but but yeah amazing 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 uh author a powerful speaker and that is a book that is near my near my uh my bedside you know but but bottom line is you know what am i fighting for and how's it been with COVID connecting with people um i can tell you honestly uh connecting has been tough it's been tough i mean obviously we use zoom you know, uh, we we're we we're using social media. Uh, I've been making a lot of calls. I mean, we always call. I always call constituents to see how they're doing, regardless of the pandemic or not. Uh, mm-hmm. But I've I've made an extra effort because we have to stay connected as best we can, you mm-hmm. know, during this time of great uh, social isolation. But what COVID nineteen has also exposed. You know, is, is things like even having a cell phone with data, for goodness sakes. Right. You know, having internet, having access to be on social media is something that not all of us have. You know, I mean, we're certainly aware of the issues, you know, up north, but, but a lot of folks don't realize that that their neighbor may not be able to afford that phone with data. Or, or there might be differences in digital literacy you know, which impact our ability to stay connected during COVID. It impacts your ability to get your food, you know, delivered at home. So you don't have to be, you know, in, in, in the big box, big chain grocer, you know, uh, fearing that there's too many people in the aisle. You know what I mean? Oh, uh, you know, people are using online tools to 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 get their medical appointments, for goodness sakes. So we're really realizing the divide, the digital divide right. between who's on and who's not on, you know? Uh, in terms of, of my culture critic, oh, my goodness, I tell you. The reality is there there, there aren't many artists that I have spoken to, and I want to include in artists, cultural workers, you know, gig economy workers. There are not many who have not been touched, you know, significantly economically by this pandemic, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have to recognize that that many artists, you know, were already at the lower end of the socioeconomic You know, stretch of things. You know, they were already dealing with income precarity. So imagine now, you know, being told you can't do your show, you can't do your concert live. And I get it, a lot of folks have been doing great work online. And that is generous of artists because, frankly, a lot of these performances, you know, readings, sharing of material, sharing of their cultural genius online has been free, you know, but we have to ask ourselves that honest question. How is that helping the artist, you know, pay their bills, Mm -hmm. you know, so what I've been hearing from artists is, you know, they need direct funding during this time, you know, the Ontario Arts Council, you know, the government sprinkled a little bit of Ford dust and (laughs) gave them some change, you know, gave them some change. But that change was really more administrative, uh, institutional, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. than today creating more opportunities for individual artists to see some, some dough so they can do their work and not have to, you know, give up their work in order to keep that roof over their head. You know, I've been talking to many cultural workers and artists who are really talking up about the idea of a basic income, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and, and recognizing, of course, that basic income is not a solution it's not a full solution is what I'm trying to say. You know, um, it it certainly doesn't address the systemic need for us to value arts and culture, you know, uh, value uh, cultural workers and and therefore pay them accordingly for goodness sakes. Um, I don't know any sector where people are expected to do more free labor than in arts and culture. And that's just not fair. So, you know, I'm proud, you know, to be a member of the NDP official opposition. You know, we're pushing, you know, for an art sector strategy. You know, I'll, I'll certainly have more to say about that uh, in the coming weeks. Uh, but it's exciting.
2: Because <laughs> you are one of the founding members of the NDP's yeah. Black Caucus, yeah. where you advise the party on policy and decision making for Black people. Yes. What's a major project that you are working on right now that people should know about?
0: Oh, the major project. Oh, I tell you, every project is so intersectional. You know, the the one thing I would say that I'm most proud of uh, with Black Caucus is, you know, we had put forth a motion, you know, pro- proposing a provincial-wide anti-Black racism strategy, you know, um, to address, you know, inequities and discrimination in our schools across the board. Mm-hmm. You know, um, our hope is that this would include... Uh, the removal of SRO, school resource officers, okay, you know, yeah. um, across the board, because we know, we know, we we know how black children are, are disproportionately targeted. Right. You know, uh, we're also fighting for a curriculum that reflects, you know, black lives, okay. uh, past, present, and future, for goodness mm-hmm. sakes. That's how our kids feel, you know, seen and heard in their classrooms. That's how they can feel confident and most connected to curriculum and not only our kids but everybody in the building <laughs> does better uh when black lives are thriving quite frankly you know so we're fighting for inclusive curriculum you know and and we're not doing that alone i mean there are organizations like ontario black history society you know there are teachers like d tyler robinson you know th- there are decades of folks you know what i mean who have been fighting uh for this uh for decades but I'm really glad to be part of of this first caucus, Black Caucus, and I mean, we could have a whole other conversation on the fact that it's the first Black Caucus in 2018 in the 21st century, you know, and, and that we were the only party that had you know nominated and and elected um, enough uh, Black members to even form um, a Black Caucus. Like these are even bigger issues, right. you know, that we have to discuss in terms of Black people in rep- you know representation in politics. And, you know, how do we connect better uh, with our communities so that more of us see politics as a place for us to go? You know, um, we are also demanding, you know, scrutiny uh, to the special investigations unit. You know, we had put forth our, our position on on ending police violence, you know, in, in Black and Indigenous communities. That was something I was very proud of, mm-hmm. you know, um, because we have to. We have to. It's, it's just not good enough it's not good enough to send cops in situations that they're not trained in, you know, Uh, and, 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 and all too often, you know, what ends up is a person that has a mental health issue ends up dead.
2: Right. You know,
0: so, so we need to place the resources where it can actually help where people come out the other end alive. You know, I think that is, that is crucial work. You know, um, I've also had the opportunity to work closely uh, with members of uh, Ontario's sickle cell community, uh, particularly oh. black sickle cell community members, yeah. uh, you know, um, in, in fighting to have, you know, a universal protocol in place in Ontario that ensures that, you know, people who are living with sickle cell, you know, sickle cell warriors, you know, can walk into the ER and not be called a crackhead because oh they God. need pain yeah. meds, you okay. know, and, and not be looked at, you know, as though they're lying or, or having their symptoms scrutinized or, or, or not believed you know, because of, you know, um, internal bias that said doctor or or frontline healthcare worker might have. Mm -hmm. And, of course, I'm not painting, you know, any one group of people as negative, but, you know, nobody should have to go into the hospital and and have to bump up against anti-Black racism, you know? Mm -hmm. And and a universal protocol to address sickle cell takes care of that. It means that everyone, uh, every Black person, regardless Um, Of of where they live in Ontario can walk in and know they're going to get the same universal high standard good quality of care. That's really important work too. So lots of pots on the stove. (laughs) (laughs) Lots of pots on the stove. (laughs) I stay cooking.
1: (laughs) Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank.
0: With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things.
1: Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. So changing gears a little bit, yeah. we're just coming off of the Heels of Ontario's first ever Eating Disorders Awareness Week, yes. which was made possible through your Bill 61, passing mm-hmm. the legislature in December. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Can you talk a bit about why you wanted to strengthen our education system in that way and how you see this change impacting the health and mental health of Ontarians in 10 years?
0: Let me start by saying this. That bill didn't pass by my work alone. Um, It passed by many community members. Uh, You know, I had the support of community members here in St. Paul's. And, you know, I got to say this too. You know, when you're dealing with an issue that matters... It's not about where the support comes from. It doesn't have to be NDP support, liberal support, conservative, green, purple, or, you know, I yellow. Agree. It's about supporting a good idea. Mm-hmm. So uh, so I had the opportunity to work with folks across party lines in my very community who saw the value in Bill 61 to create that week, uh, first week of February, uh, and to call it Eating Disorders Awareness Week. Uh, but there are also many organizations like NETIC, Sheena's Place, uh, Body Brave, you know, need advocates who, who have also been fighting for this for many years. So I was very lucky uh, to be able to work with them and to get the support, the unanimous support at Queen's Park uh, from all parties, which, which rarely, rarely happens, yep. you know, um, especially as an official opposition member. So, you know, what are we trying to do? Well, here's the deal. Uh, Canada has pff, some stats say 1 million, 2 million, 3 million, Uh, diagnosed, undiagnosed uh, cases of eating disorders. What we know is that because there isn't enough funding uh, going into eating disorder research, that we can't even always trust the numbers. You know, what we do know is that about half a million or so of those cases are right here in Ontario. Uh And what I know is eating disorder research has historically focused on white women, Mm
1: -hmm. on
0: white heterosexual thin-bodied women. You know, and and like so many things in this world, you know, we have to fight for an intersectional analysis. We have to fight for our Black bodies to matter, you know, and for research to center our experiences. So it was very important in my bill to ensure that I highlighted that Black folks get EDs too. People of color get EDs as well. Trans people, you know, 2SLGBTQIA plus people, seniors, for goodness sakes, fat people. Have eating problems and need support, so this bill is about beginning a conversation uh, and also hopefully action uh, that will go towards changing our curriculum so we can have courageous conversations uh, in schools in teachers' college, um, in healthcare facilities that that treat people who are presenting, and that according to research has have often uh, misdiagnosed or completely ignored hmm. uh, symptoms of EDs in black folks, for instance, in fat folks, because it's like, oh, you're black. <laughs> you don't have an ED, or, you know, your group doesn't get EDs, or you're fat. How the heck can you have anorexia? Actually, you can, you know? Uh, so this this work, I'm really proud of it. Uh, it was my first PMB uh, private members bill that I put forth in 2018, uh, in December, I think, of 2018, and it took two <laughs> years <laughs> Uh, it became law December 8th I think 2020 mm-hmm. you know and, and it's part of the bigger design you know whether it's education or mental health you know or or even just gender equity uh, you know applying a race analysis you know this is important work it's it's where i come from it's it's what i believe in and i try to make sure it's centered um in all the work that i do you know such as an intersectional gender equity strategy motion that i had put forth in 2019 uh, which the government's still sleeping on, you know? <laughs> and you'd think they'd wake up now, especially that we've seen that women, you know, and and marginalized yeah. groups are, are the most impacted by COVID. Right. You know, now is the time for them to to take a look at my Motion 89, you know, which, which simply asks the government to do a little more homework, you know? Before you put forth bills like your housing bill that are putting people on the streets, you know? Uh, you know, before you put forth, you know... Um, before you have an anti-racism directorate, you know, that, that has a thousand dollar budget line or something insignificant like that and isn't doing any work to address racial profiling or carding, you know, by the way, which are still legal in Ontario. I, you know, I, I, I got to say the Liberals forgot that in the last 15 years they had power to actually get carding off, <laughs> like to stop carding in Ontario. I can't no. believe that one. You know, um, a gender equity strategy, you know, simply says, think about women. Think about marginalized communities, you know, do an analysis first of the bills you're putting forth in the legislature so you know beforehand who they're disproportionately going to impact negatively Mm -hmm. so that you can make the right changes before you come to the table, before it becomes law and before it's too late.
2: You know, Jill, I, I love this point that you're making about some of the unintended consequences of, of policy. Yep. And, and so now I want to I wanna ask you, like, we know that advocating against fat phobia and other types of body shaming is something that is really close to you. Um, but I'm wondering, in what ways has that become easier or more difficult given this pandemic that we're living through right now?
0: You know, how, how has that changed because of the pandemic? Uh, you know, here's what I'll say. Uh, there's been a lot of conversation around the COVID-15. I'm sure you've heard that. Yep. Right? Oh, no, I've gained the COVID-15. Of course. You know, a, a lot of people are engaging in, you know, what I call fat shaming, you know, and body shaming during a pandemic. Right. You know, and and while people have a right um, to speak, you know, people have a right to their opinions. What we have to realize is when we have opinions about ourselves, our bodies or other people's bodies that feed into the, You know, the the visual culture already that over-polices, you know, over-objectifies, over-sexualizes, dehumanizes bodies as it stands based on looks, you know, based on stupid things like weight, for God's sakes, Mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't make the situation better. So I think that during COVID-19, we have to just be thankful, you know, for those of us who have lived through this. You know, many of us have lost loved ones who we cannot get back Mm -hmm. and we have to put into perspective what is, what's really significant here. Mm -hmm. Is it surviving? Is it trying to keep your loved ones as near as possible virtually, you know, writing snail mail, (laughs) picking up the phone, or is it worrying about whether or not you've gained a few pounds? Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think we have to, we have to, we have to embrace a health at every size perspective, In life, more of a weight neutral perspective. There is science out there that demonstrates, you know, that that being fat is not the end all. It's not the worst thing that can happen in your world. You know, in fact, yo-yo dieting, where folks are obsessed, over obsessed with calorie counting and exercising to extremes, that's been linked with 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 death. That's been linked with heart attacks and heart disease. Mm. You know, so I'm not advocating for you to be 50 pounds. I'm not advocating for you to be 700 pounds but I'm advocating for people to to be able to live in whatever size body they're in Mm -hmm. with dignity and and not to be shamed at work you know not to be passed over for a job or for a promotion because they're fat Mm -hmm. you know not to be seen you know by a by a by a manager in a rental you know oh you're fat therefore stereotypically you must be sloppy you must be lazy I don't want that type of person in my building these are things that actually happen Agreed. Um, to fat people and not just yeah. fat people for goodness sakes we can talk about black folks yeah. i know so many black folks that when they're renting a place they bring a white friend like this is ridiculous right. we, we shouldn't be dealing with those sorts of uh discriminations and, and and phobias so you know before i got elected i i did some work with with um advocacy on sizeism sucks you know i wanted to see size and weight added to the ontario human rights code um, as prohibited grounds of discrimination, you know, lookism shouldn't have a place in our society. We should not be based, you know, we shouldn't be basing people's ideas about people's intelligence, their their ethics, their their willingness to work, their productivity, uh, mm-hmm. on their waistline or their height or the kind of hair they have or, or or their facial features. It's it's erroneous and it's 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 backwards thinking, quite frankly.
1: We hear that. We hear that. So. Today, we've highlighted you as a Black politician in Ontario, and we hope we've given you your flowers. You do outstanding work, (laughs) and we are lucky to have you at the helm working to make our province better through your work in Toronto, St. Paul's, and beyond. Thank you. You're very welcome. Now we want you to give someone else their flowers. We're calling this the Stacey Abrams moment. So is there a Black person you've worked with who has supported you and made things happen for you that you want to recognize?
0: Oh my goodness, huh? Well, you see, now you're gonna put me in the situation of who do I say?
1: <laughs> hey, listen, some of the other pop, they they chose two people, so do what you got to do.
0: <laughs> who do I say? I, I mean, first and foremost is always my mother. You know, mm-hmm. um, I I would be nothing, absolutely nothing, uh, without the example that she led and that she leads um, to this day. You know, um, I also want to give a shout out. Two, my childhood mentor Eleanor Edwards. I met Eleanor while I was a teenager with Tropicana and I, I gotta mm-hmm. say shout out to Tropicana workers you know uh, this is why we fight so hard for workers rights and for fair pay for fair wages. You know Eleanor uh, was the program manager um, at the rep center uh, in Scarborough in the east end you know where I grew up uh, um, as a teenager. Malvern, and that's she, my Right. There you go. There you go. You know, and she has, and she has remained so in my life, um, to this very day. And I tell kids all the time, you know, keep in touch with those educators, uh, with those leaders in community, you know, who have seen you, who have nurtured you, who put you in the window for the sun to shine on you and help you grow. And and Eleanor Edwards is certainly one of those people. When I got elected in 2018, uh, she was one of the first people that I connected with shortly thereafter. And we had a meal, you know, and it was wonderful to look back (laughs) at my life, you know, and the the, the good choices, the not so good choices, you know, from 14 to adulthood now. You know, somebody else that I would want to shout out as well who has done extraordinary work that I look up to uh, quite immensely, is Sarana Sandy. And, and she's the ED, I want to say, or or CEO of Skills for Change. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's very near to my office on St. Clair West. And very early in my tenure, I had a chance to work with Sarana and to see the compassion, you know, and her, her, her connection uh, to supporting new immigrants, you know, to using arts, you know, to using filmmaking to make that happen. You know, and I've had the pleasure of, you know, working with her and and doing workshops and and having courageous conversations on race and gender and how we get through, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I really appreciate her work. But there are a lot of people. There are so many people that I could say who have, you know, met me some recently in this political world, uh, some previously, and they have just been beacons Beacons of hope and inspiration and motivation, you know. I'm thinking of Prophetess, for instance. You know, I met Prophetess. Where did I meet Prophetess for the first time? Was it at No Frills when I was campaigning in 2018, or was it at Oakwood Village Library? I cannot remember our our first meeting, you know what I mean? Hmm. But this is a woman who has picked up tenants' advocacy, you know, and is a boss on Mm -hmm. tenants' advocacy. You know, and and a lot of her work began during the COVID crisis, you know, because again, a lot of folks, uh, predominantly black and racialized, got the shorter end of the stick from this premier and from his Ford government. Yep. you know, And she, the work she's done uh, with her tenants association, you know, advocating for folks, you know ensuring no one on her block is going hungry, you know, working with us with our community food table. Uh, she's been amazing, you know? So those are just a few. But I mean, oh, if I were to sit and go through a list, I, I couldn't from teachers to professors to child and youth workers, to you know? Um, oh my goodness, to, to former bosses. There's so many people that I could say um, have really influenced me. And and I walk with them. I, I walk with them. You know, I was lucky to have Zanayna um at my nomination meeting on February 13th. You know, and and she was the first Black woman to sit in the Legislative Assembly of Ontario and the first Black woman, period, to be a cabinet minister. (laughs) You know what I mean?
2: Um,
0: So you can imagine how nervous I was. (laughs) Uh, I was shaking like a leaf. You know what I mean? (laughs) Uh, But to have her support, uh, to have her guidance, to know that she will call me out when necessary, you know, and, and, and show me myself when necessary. Um, that's powerful. Like it is powerful. And, and I'm just really grateful, grateful for all of it. All of it.
1: It's like the, uh, the old adage goes, right? It takes a village, not only to raise children, but truly to develop professionally and personally in all aspects of life.
0: Oh, does it ever,
1: Mm -hmm. does it ever,
0: does it ever. It takes a village.
2: All right. So this brings us to the end of our session. Thank you so much for, for being here today, Jill.
0: I, I really appreciate both of you uh, for having me on and, and I'll say this as well too, you know, I appreciate your last question uh, mm-hmm. on the who, you know, because mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's so important. It's so important uh, for us to reflect and, you know, for us to pick up the phone or, or an email or whatnot, check in on folks, you know, cause no one gets to where they are by themselves. That's right. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of people say to me, oh my God, Jill, you're such an inspiration. Oh my, oh man. You know? And, and my thing is I'm, I'm, I'm a work in progress. Um, I am learning this job as I am doing it. You know, my daddy wasn't the former premier, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. You know, yeah. real talk. Like my mother is an essential worker, a senior, uh, you know, a single parent uh, politics couldn't have been further, you know, from my, from my vantage point, you know, at 14, 15, 16 years, you know what I'm saying? Old. So I, it really, it really means something that I'm here. Uh, and, and if I do nothing else um, in my tenure, I mean, you know, I'm up for reelection, you know, I'm hoping to form government. I'm hoping to be part of that government, but you know, if I'm not, guess what? I was there. Yep. Yeah, and hopefully in being there, I would have inspired other black people, especially black girls. You know, my goodness, they want to police us so much. You know, we talk loud. We're this, we're that. How we dress, how we yep. comb our hair. Yep. You know, if nothing else, I want to get more black folks elected.
1: There's no question that you, just like you said, even if you are not reelected, even if the NDP doesn't form government, you being there is history. Right. I, so was there. I was there. I was there. So I was thank there. you thank you for that. And and ultimately we'd like, we'd like you to return because we think it's important to build relationships between elected officials and their constituents. Right. Agreed. And and we want to build a strong dialogue between MPPs like yourself and BIPOC millennials in particular. So uh, see you soon.
0: Thank you. See you soon. Whenever name the time and the date.
1: I love it. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. We're releasing pods on a weekly basis, so subscribe to stay up to date.
2: We now have our own Instagram page dedicated to the podcast. Follow us at The Drip Black people, we hope that you know that this is a safe space for you. So if you have any feedback or questions, feel free to slide in our DMs and let us know what's up.
1: We'd also like to give a special shout out to Stephen Fissett, who graciously provided artwork for this podcast. If you like what you see, you can find him on Instagram at Scarborough Debutante, that's Scarborough, D-E-B-U-T-A-N-T-E, for all your graphic design needs. See y'all next time.
2: Planning for your next trip?